Amen. Well, hey, happy new year. Hope you guys all had a wonderful Christmas. And there's something about changing into the new year. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit more this year that we made it to 2021. Um, but we are looking forward to and we continue to hold on to the name of Jesus, the promises of Jesus, the word of his truth. No matter what the future holds, no matter what the future has, as we're still maybe uh, learning from what we are supposed to learn these last months, you know, these last year, but we're moving forward into it. So we made it. Congratulations. You made it to 2021. Give yourself a hand, right? And, uh, you know, last year we got, a, we got a lot of bad news. There was a lot of bad news. So this year I thought we'd start the new year with some good news, right? How about we start the year with some good news? How many of us could use some good news? How many of us could, how many of us could use a little hope, a little encouragement? How many of us could use a little faith? How many of us could use a whole lot of Jesus in 2021, right? We can use a lot of that, right? Do you know that good news, that your body actually responds to good news and how it responds to bad news? There was this, uh, there was this in Forbes magazine in 2016, uh, so a few years back, it was an article by a neuropsychologist, a doctor named Fabian Van Demberg. With a name like that, he is very smart, and he knows what he's talking about because he's a neuropsychologist, right? And so he's a lot of big terms, a lot of big words, but the big idea is this. Bad news equals bad health. If you are continually feeding yourself bad news, your health will be affected by it. You will, you will most likely suffer from mental illness. You will have anxiety, depression. It shortens your lifespans and causes the dominion effect, shifting the balance in your brain and your entire body. So I think we need some good news. We need some good news, right? And guess what? He wrote this in 2016, but we've known this from a long time because Proverbs tells us this. And Proverbs 13, uh, 30 says, good news refreshes the bones, right? That's a long time ago before 2016. And then this one, Proverbs 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, we got some good news today. We got some good news today. We don't have some good news. We have the best news. We are starting the year with the best news. And the best news of the good news of the great news is the gospel. Is the gospel. So we're going to start off the year with Jesus. We're going to start off this, this year with looking at the gospel of Mark. The book of Mark. And I love how Mark just, he, he's like one of the disciples. He seems to like be like in a hurry to get to the point. If you read some of the other gospels, you read it, Mark, like he's like, immediately this happened, immediately this happened. He's like, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the good news. And like John does this whole big, beautiful poem at the beginning of his book. But Mark just says this. He says, right, verse 1, chap chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Your version might say, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, or Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Mark, from the very first line, he is making it all about Jesus. This is about Jesus. This is about his life, about his ministry, about his, about his whole ultimate goal and purposes, his death, burial, and resurrection, and Mark is not, I want to say, when you open the Bible, when you open especially the Gospels, sometimes we can look at those even as like, uh, uh, maybe some unbelievers will look at it, like, oh, here's a historical biography of Jesus. You know, it's more than just a historical biography. It is a historical theology. 
Because if we want to know who God is, we look at who Jesus is, and we build it off of what we see he does and how he responds and what he says. So because, listen, he doesn't want us just to, to know about Jesus. He wants you to experience Jesus. That's what Mark's intent is of writing this. He wants you to experience him. His goal is not just like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, he wants Jesus to come and live in his life through you so that you can do the things that Jesus has called you to do with the empowerment of Jesus in your life. Right? It's a whole different way of looking at it. It's not just like, oh, let's learn about that. No, let's invite this guy into my life. It says right there, your version again might say, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This one says, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, and, and just right there again, right off the get-go, he's just telling us who he is talking about. He says, Jesus. Jesus is a derivative of the Old Testament name of Joshua, which means deliverer, savior, one to come and save us from our sins. He's making it clear right there. And it says, Messiah or Christ, and that's not his last name. It's not like if Jesus had a driver's license, it doesn't say like Jesus Christ, right? No, it doesn't say that. It says that is like this, this is, it's actually like a title. That's who he says he is. It's like reference of like, that is being the king. That is one that is coming with a mission and a purpose, and that Jesus is the Messiah. He came to take away the sins of the world, and then he says, the Son of God. Another, just a power-packed phrase right there. He is actually one with God, co-equal, co-eternal, co-complete authority of God in his life. So this is God. Mark's like not messing around. Like, this is what it's about. The beginning. The good news, the great news, the gospel. What the gospel means is good news is that our Savior has come, the King, the Lord, the one who is one with God. This is the good news. So with that foundation laid of the good news and who Jesus is, Ask your question, who was the greatest man to ever live? Okay, softball answer. Come on, guys, you're in church. Everybody give the church answer. The church answer is Jesus, clearly. All right, you guys are a little bit hesitant. Like, uh, but, okay, beyond Jesus, besides Jesus, uh, other than Jesus, because Jesus is a category all to himself. He was the son of God. He was sinless. He performed miracles, healed people. Oh, and he died and was raised again and forgave us all of our sins. Nobody compares to Jesus. He's in a category all to himself, right? So other than Jesus... Who is the greatest man or greatest person to ever live? Albert Einstein? Hey, you guys know where I'm going. All right. <laughs> so if you heard some of that mummering, some people already looked in the Bible and they know what's coming, is this guy named John the Baptist. If anybody ever asks you, who is the greatest man on the earth, you simply tell them, John the Baptist. And we go, John the Baptist? Like, John the Baptist? I didn't learn about John the Baptist in school. I learned about Martin Luther, Albert Einstein, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Rosa Parks, even heard about Billy Graham. How many of us have read the biography of John the Baptist or the memoirs of John the Baptist? Right? How many things, like, how many things does John the Baptist do that we look up to, that we emulate, that we want to be like? Like, like? We don't even know if he had a job. We don't think he got married, no kids, no house. But like John the Baptist... Why, did, why, why do I say John the Baptist is the greatest man that's ever lived? Well, because the greatest man that actually ever did live said that he was the greatest man that ever lived. I got a verse for you. In Luke 7, 28, up on the screen here, Jesus says this about John the Baptist. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. That's a massive statement right there. That Jesus, the Son of God, says that, no, who is all born of a woman? 
all of us. <laughs> every one of us was born of a woman. So every single man on the earth was born of a every man, woman, right? child, everyone born of a woman. And there's no one like him. Like, wh why? What makes John so great? I mean, he didn't write a book. He didn't start a religion. He wasn't a president, a politician. He wasn't a rock star, an athlete, a celebrity, right? He wasn't super rich. We don't know if he ever got married, any kids. We don't know if he went to college, probably did the homeschool thing, right? You know, uh, um, <laughs> you know like, we, don't, we don't, like, famous? Like, what, John the Baptist? Okay, so why John the Baptist? Let's, let's look into that today. Let's find out why John the Baptist would be called the greatest man ever. So then Mark goes right from introducing and saying this is all about Jesus so he quickly shifts it and says, hey, let's talk about John. But first he quotes another part of the Bible. And he says this. And he says, it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. That's an Old Testament book, an Old Testament prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Make straight paths for him. So Mark starts off by quoting that other part of your Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah, the, 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 the older part of the Bible. In fact, this is actually even found in Exodus, it's found in Isaiah, and it's found in Malachi. And whenever this statement of this time of preparing the way in the wilderness, Isaiah says it and Malachi says it in this time of waiting, this time of waiting for God to come and do something, waiting for him to come and fulfill something inside of us. And just as we see the Israelites, we watch the Israelites, we read them in their story, and they, we are a lot more like the Israelites than we like to admit. We do not like to wait. We don't like to wait. Young people, it's been very hard. to. It was hard to wait for Christmas, right? What gift am I getting? When is it coming? When can we open our presents, right? That just happened. Some of you, it was a difficult year to wait through and go, okay, God, when is something going to shift? When is something going to change? And so Isaiah actually writes this this time, and he's, when he prophesies this, when he says this, he's a prophet again in a time when God's people were, were again uh, maybe blaming God, complaining against God, rebelling against God, worshiping false idols. And they were already in the promised land, the land that God had promised the Israelites to be in. But because of their sin and that caused separation from God, they're chasing after other idols, their refusal to, to turn away from wickedness, even after warning after warning, after warning, they wouldn't give up. So the Babylonians came and took them captive and, and took them back into another wilderness experience. We're going to see that a lot in this first book of Mark, a lot about the wilderness experience in these next few weeks coming forward, but his wilderness of 70 years of exile. And here they go again, this other cycle that the Israelite people just keep, keep going in of this, this, this pattern of sin, rebellion, repentance. Sin, rebellion, repentance. And it's like, are these guys going anywhere? Are they just spinning in circles? Then, then you see a Malachi. This is the, the last book of the Old Testament. This prophet comes and he says it again. You have forsake that now that they've returned back from exile. They've come back into their promised land. they come back into the land that God has given them. But again, their hearts are moving away, moving away from worshiping the one true God. And they're blaming and rebelling against God. And they're doing all of that stuff. And he's like, hey, you're going back into the wilderness. You're going to go back into the wilderness. You're not going to go through the wilderness of following Moses. You're not going to go into exile, but you're going to go through a spiritual wilderness. You're going to go through a time of without God's presence, 
without his voice, without a prophetic voice, 400 years of silence. And Malachi promised that. He said, hey, listen, but, li- but listen, listen, 400, 400 years between the book of Malachi and then we get to the gospel of Jesus coming. That's a big gap. I haven't even been holding on to a promise of God for a long time. Like, hey, God, I'm waiting for that promise to come. How many have been waiting 400 years? That's a really long time to be waiting, right? We think, God, have you forgotten us? God, have you, have you forgotten your promises that you made to us? And he does not forget his promises, just as we saw in the video. His promises are yes and amen. His promises are true, and he's not on our timetable. And we don't understand it, but we still hold on to his promises because what did he say? He said, I, his prophet said, I will send a messenger before you. And he will prepare the way. So they're holding on to this. This big gap in between. And sometimes we can feel like we are in a wilderness stage right now. This wilderness time of God, uh, where are you? Why haven't you answered? Why haven't you responded? And when we're in the wilderness time, whether we are distant from God or whether God feels distant from us, we can be like, God, what do we do? What do we say? Where, what do we hold on to? And just as we see right here, you hold on to the last promise that he gave you. You hold on to the last thing that he told you to do. You hold on to that last truth in that time of dryness, in that time of wilderness, in that time of wondering. You hold on to the last thing that he said to do, and you learn to listen. You learn to listen when the messenger comes, because the messenger does come on God's time. That's what he sees right here. Now verse 4. So he says, hey, I'm making a way. Prophets have said about this. This guy's coming. Then verse 4 says, and so we've been talking about the messenger. The messenger's coming. That's all, the, that's, all the, that's all set up now. John the Baptist appears in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole countryside, <clears throat> the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here, waiting all this time, in a time of wilderness, in a time of dryness, and now the messenger appears. Who is John? John is the messenger. John is the one that has brought the message. And what is his message? What is he saying? God has been, God has been quiet. It's been a while. God, we're waiting for you. You say, you're going to send someone to prepare the way. It's been 400 years. We're lurking. We're, le- we're leaning in. What are you going to say? And the message that he sends is not the one that we have in mind, is it? The message that comes is not the one that we thought would happen. He doesn't do what we think we would happen. And he sends a strange, weird messenger. Can we just say that? I mean, why else would he give this weird description of this guy wearing camel's clothes and a big belt around and eating bugs? Right? Well, I mean, that, that's the description that we got of, of Jesus' cousin. You thought your family was weird that you met over the holidays, right? You've got your bug-eating, camel-wearing cousin out there, right? And he's out there. And this guy, think about it. Like, 
He's out in the wilderness just yelling and screaming and preaching. He's equivalent to what we call a street preacher today. One of those weird guys just yelling, making his way. Like, he doesn't have a church building, doesn't have a job that we know of, right? Like, honestly, if you were there, would you take John the Baptist seriously? Like, would you be like, yeah, you know what? I think this guy, I'm going to listen to him. Right? This guy, this guy, I'm going to listen to him. How many of you, you know, how many of you, you know John had disciples himself? Other people came and followed John to be, how many would sign up? I want to be that guy's disciple. I got to dress like him and eat bugs. All of a sudden, I became a vegan. Like, you know, like, all of a sudden, I've changed. Like, how many of you are going to sign up for that? Again, John, he doesn't come from what we would think. He's not this guy that we would think would attract a crowd. But there's something about John that he lived for something greater. He knew his purpose that when, that he knew that he, this is why he was the greatest man that ever lived. Because he lived for something greater and it attracted people around him. And he was laser focused on what his message was and what his purpose was. Laser focused, so set on knowing what that was and what was that message and what is the message that after 400 years of silence, 400 years of God being distant and far away from the people, he sends this message of proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so the word that God has for us today is the word repent. That's not the word I was looking for in the new year. That's not the word that I was looking to start the new year. How many of you got up this morning, you got up, you got dressed, you made your cup of coffee, you got the family in the car, you had to sweep off all the snow, shovel the driveway to finally get here to church. Hey, we're going to go to church, a new year, a new start. Who knows what the pastor's going to preach? He's going to preach the new year, new you. He's going to preach seven habits to make your life better. And I get up here and I go, repent, 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 repent. Amen. <laughs> Is that the message that we, oh, Damien, hold on. What, what, no, it's a new year. And that's what John the Baptist, like, repent, repent. John comes preaching repentance. And he's the last line of the Old Testament prophets. He's the last of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant prophets. And what is he preaching? He's preaching the same message that the other prophets have preached of repentance. You have rebelled against God. You have turned against God. You have gone away from God. You know, you keep on, that's the story of God's people. It's like they keep on just walking in circles. Sin, rebellion, repentance, sin, rebellion, repentance, sin. And he's like, can we break the cycle? You guys keep on just walking into sin, rebellion, repentance. You get your eyes on God for one moment, then you fall back into sin. Back into, now you need to repent. And he's like, can we break this cycle? And it's not a popular message. It was not a popular message for the Old Testament prophets, and it's not a popular message today. How many of the prophets got killed for their message? How many? John the Baptist, we're going to see later on, was killed for his message. It's not a popular message. It's like, come on, Damien, can't we just preach about love? Shouldn't we preach on grace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and all of that? Absolutely, all of that's in the Bible. But guess what? Forgiveness apart, the Bible says, there is no forgiveness apart from repentance. So they go together. We love the forgiveness side, but we need to do the repentance side. Amen. So we're going to start the new year with repentance. And this word actually means literally to turn away from, to about face, to turn away. I'm going in this direction, and I see my fault, I see my sin, and I'm going to 
Not just like, oh, I'm going to stop dangling with that. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to turn to something different. The biblical understanding of it is, is even more than that. It's even like, like you were once of this world. You once thought like and were taught to think like the world. But now because Christ is coming to you, Christians, believers in this room, those online, your mind has been renewed. You are a new creation. You no longer think as the world. You think as the kingdom of God. You have a new mindset. And so often we, we think that walking and growing in our relationship with God is like, I've got to get from here to there. And we want it to just be this straight, I'm just climbing the mountain, this going up. It's just get, every week I'm getting closer and closer to Jesus. But again, that would be awesome. And maybe you're in a moment where it's just a, whew, a straight up, like, awesome thing. But a majority of us, a lot of us, are like the Israelites. It's like, we know that's the goal. i got to get over there. And this is how we walk. Like, I'm, <laughs> like, we want to get there faster, but I'm spinning in circles. I'm repenting. But what's happening is God is revealing more of those sins in your heart. He's redeeming you. He's sanctifying you. As you get closer to God, you're all of a sudden, that's why repentance is for all of us. All of us are like, man, that's that, oh, God just revealed another thing that's in my, in my life. That's another thing I need to repent of. As I get closer, I'm repenting. I'm, I, oh, I rebe- oh, there's another rebellion that God revealed, and I'm repenting, and I'm getting closer to him because he wants the sin out of our lives. Because he is preparing a way, just as John the Baptist prepared the way for his first coming. He has put it on the church to prepare the way for his second coming. John's in the wilderness. And what's interesting is that when we think of a message of a street preacher yelling, repent, repent, you think they're going down to the Las Vegas Strip. We think they're going to downtown L.A., going downtown Chicago, going to Boys Town. And that's where they're putting up their signs and they're calling people to repent. He is in where? Judah, the countryside of Judah and Jerusalem. And I love it that it says, like, well, how did they respond? Did the people, uh, did they respond to this crazy guy wearing camel's hair, big belt, and eating bugs? Had they respond? It says, all of Judah, Judean countryside, and Jerusalem came. That is 300,000 people over time coming to hear this guy preach. They responded because God was in it. God was in it. And what did they do? They confessed their sins and they were baptized. They received the message when it came. I mean, just think about that. I mean, think about it. And, and like, because we think repentance, again, is like going to the, the rough parts where the people, those people that are not like us, the people that are dirty, the people that are sinful. No, this is like, no, he's going to good, upright, religious, moral people. People that probably went to church, synagogue, gave their tithe, paid their taxes, you know, did the good, right things. This is the kind of people you want in your church. But these are the people that he's calling to come and repent. And this is a dilemma for us because we think the world is broken up to good people and bad people. Good people, those are people that agree with me on my view of the world. Good people are the ones that, that come to church and do the right thing and serve and, and, and they've got a nice, nice clean family and nice and organized and, and they recycle and they have an spreadsheet to plan their life and, and they're all like put together. But the prostitutes, the murderers, the wife beaters, the drug addicts, that's the bad people. That's who he's going to preach to. And no, John is preaching to all of them, to the religious people. And he's punching them in the gut. Let's imagine being a church religious 
person that has parts of the Bible memorized. And he's like, repent, repent, get in the water, repent, be forgiven of your sins. And the religious people are probably scratching their head. What? Hold on. You're, you're talking to, you're, talk, you're telling me to repent? He's like, hold on. You're that, hey, John, that's offensive. Do you know who I am? And John's like, yeah. Do you know about your sin? Your sin is offensive. Get in the water. And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, hold on, hold on. If I'm hearing you clearly, if I'm hearing you rightly, John, you're telling me I'm wrong. And John's like, yeah, okay, glad you got the message. You're wrong. Come repent of your sin and turn back to Jesus. And the guys, and they must be going like, okay. Hey, I'm going to go get some friends and bring them. <laughs> you know, because it attracts people. They hear this message that's preached boldly. And they're like, oh, let's, let's, let's go get some more people. Let's go get some more people. And everybody ends up coming out there to be baptized. And they respond. So I wonder how well we do of responding when we hear a message from the Lord. They were told a message is coming to prepare the way. How do we respond? They responded by being baptized in the Jordan River, a baptism of repentance. That's how he gets his name, John the Baptist. No, he was not part of the SBC. We love those guys and all that stuff, right? We love all these people. Like, no, he wasn't, he wasn't John, John the theologian, John the Bible school teacher, John the Sunday school teacher. He wasn't John the pastor. John, he was John the Baptist because that's what he did. He just baptized people, baptized them, getting them cleansed. And he demanded, his preaching, his message demanded a response. And sometimes we struggle with that, of demanding, do we allow God's word to demand a response from us? John is telling them they need to repent and be baptized. And that's the first step. And the next step is to just keep on responding to God. Keep on responding to his message. Keep on, keep on going this way. It just begins with following him. And the more you follow him, the more he keeps on revealing your stuff, revealing your sin. But here is the truth of where the American church is today. And maybe even some in this room or some watching online. There are people that tune in online church or come to church week after week, and when the idea of baptism is brought up, you say, you know what, I don't want that. That's not for me. I don't want to get all wet. That's kind of embarrassing, getting in front of everybody. I don't, I don't want to do that baptized. That, that's just not for me. If you want to be loving and as clear as possible, is that shows that you are unwilling to respond to the word of God. God's word explicitly says to be baptized. If he says to be baptized, then to be a Christian, to be one that's put your faith in Jesus, and to not be baptized is to be disobedient to God. If you are a Christian and not baptized, you are, you are being in disobedience. You open the Bible. You open the Bible and you read about the first century church. What do you read about? You read, you, what, and you read John calling people to be baptized. You read Jesus calling people to be baptized. You read Paul, Peter telling people to come and be baptized. You read Paul come to be baptized. What do you read about in the book of Acts when people came to know Christ? They were saved and baptized in the same day. But there's something that has crept into our modern thing that that's just something I don't need to do. If you've been there, 
I mean, that, and for over 2,000 years, the church has had that sacrament of baptism, of getting into the water, confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior publicly, repenting of your sins, going down, letting that old man die, and rise up anew in him. It's obedience. And so, if you're here, if you're online, if you hear about this later on, man, you're like convicted, guess what? January 25th, we're filling the baptism. <laughs> 24th, January 24th, we're filling the baptismal, and you can get in and be baptized. Yes, so that's our first step. Maybe some of you, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, re, it's a re-examining your heart and going, man, maybe I was baptized as a child, and I wasn't sure if I really knew what I was doing and, and wasn't really all in on what that was about, but now I, I'm, I'm making a choice to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I'm making a response. So that's the first one, is to respond to him in baptism. The next one, what else do we learn from John the Baptist? Yes, repent, be baptized. But we learn this other just amazing thing that I believe that made him the greatest man that ever lived, the greatest man ever born of any woman. And it says this in verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, somewhere along the way, empowered by God, he jumped in his mother's womb when he was around Jesus. It was all about Jesus. He, was, he did not neglect what his laser-focused purpose was. And he learned to live this life completely surrendered to Jesus. And I believe that was the secret to his greatness. That's where, where he spent his time, his energy, his efforts, was constantly making much of Jesus. He lived as a witness. His whole purpose of John's ministry was to be a witness, to prepare the way for people that are in the wilderness, people that are tired, people that are wandering, people who's, who think that God has abandoned them, forgotten them. And John says, I'm going to go into the wilderness where they are, and I'm going to tell them to prepare for Jesus to come. Guys, where are we today? We are in a world where people are hurting. They're, 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 they, 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 they feel like God has abandoned them. They feel alone. They feel forgotten. And we have that same call to go be a witness and introduce them to the good news. He was so humble, so humble, that he made it all about Jesus. And sometimes we can think, oh, that's John the Baptist, and that's the preacher's job, and that's the evangelist's job. No, every single one of us have the responsibility to witness. Every single one of us. John the Baptist, again, we saw that all of Jerusalem and Judea came out to hear his message and to be baptized. Man, that, you, if you have, that's, that's a moment to become egotistical, right? That's a moment to be like, man, I got a platform. Oh, my goodness, look at this that I'm building. If this was in modern times, if, this, if John the Baptist was in modern times, what would happen? The book, the book publishers would come and go, we got a book deal for you, John. You want to write a book about how to baptize 300,000 people? You know, you want to do this? Hey, there would, be, there would be trending Instagram videos of the baptism going on. They'd be like, hey, John, let's take this thing on the road. Let's go to the different cities and bring this around. And all the, and all the local synagogue leaguers want to know how you grain such a crowd. But he says, no, 
It's not about me. It is not about me. I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus's sandals. Not even worthy. He says, there's one coming after me. There's one coming after me. I am just his humble servant. Guys, this is not the main show. I'm just the chips and salsa. The main meal is still on the way. Don't get, don't get, don't get wrapped up in the chips and salsa, right? Like, don't fill up on that. There's the main, the main course is coming, and he's Jesus. And this is what I love that he says right there. He says, that, and this is the most important thing to hear of anything today. Don't miss this. Without the person work of Jesus and the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will keep on just doing those circles. You'll just keep doing those circles. You'll continuously, continuously just work in this, this track in this way. Keep on going into the wilderness. That's what we see all through the Old Testament. They keep making the same repetitive mistakes. But there's something about repentance that breaks that cycle. That breaks that cycle. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. And this is why John the Baptist says, hey, I baptized you with water, but the one, the better baptizer is coming and he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. John says, I have access to your ears. Jesus has access to your heart. Jesus, John says, I baptize you for repentance. Jesus comes and baptizes you into righteousness. John says, I baptize you to wash away your old life. Jesus comes, and he's the one that gives you new life. John will wash away your sin, but Jesus comes and baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. John said, there's another one coming. Let's not get fixated on all the other prophets, all the other voices. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. There's no one greater. There's no one that deserves more worship, more praise. And so we're going to close by giving you a few opportunities that each one of us are going to respond together, some individually. First off, God's word. We can do more study. There's a whole page on our website about baptism. And the first thing is God's word demands a response. Some of you heard John's message of repent and be baptized. And you need to sign up. There's a sign up paper on the table out there. There's a card in the back of the seat. You can go on our website, shoot a flare up. I don't care. Just say I'm getting in the water on January 24th in front of everyone to be baptized, all right? Some of us, you need to just come to this place of just worshiping God in a deeper way of a God, you have washed me, you have cleansed me, you have pulled me out of the wilderness, you have taught me, my life depends on you, and in the middle of the wilderness that you might be in, you still worship in the middle of that wilderness. You still worship in the middle of that hard time. And then others, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because you feel helpless and powerless to the sin in your life and you feel stuck and you feel this continual cycle of repentance, of, of, of just repeating sin. You repent, you repeat, you repent, you repeat. And the Holy Spirit wants to fill you this morning anew. Prayer team, myself, Nancy, Marco, Jean, we're going to be here to pray for you to have more of the Holy Spirit. And all of us are going to take a few moments take communion together. Hopefully you got your communion cup on the way in. And we're going to have a moment of God examining our hearts. So as you prepare that, just
just pray. God, search my heart. Search my heart. Some of you have grown leaps and bounds in your faith in 2020. Some of you, it has become alive and real in an incredible, amazing way. But guess what? As you get closer to him, closer to his holiness, he continues to reveal those subtle sins. Sins that one time did not bother you, all of a sudden they bother you more. And that is a good thing. That is a great thing. Because that means Jesus is speaking to deeper parts of your heart. So Lord Jesus, search our hearts. Bring to mind right now things that, Lord, we need to repent of before you. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said on that night that he was with his disciples. We do this, his baptism is a symbol, it's a sacrament of the church, communion is a sacrament, it's a symbol of the church, of acknowledging that Jesus was our savior, that he died and took our place on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus told us, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. When you come together, do this in remembrance of me, remembering what I had done. That your sin is not too great to be forgiven. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. On the night that he was about to be betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He chose to have his body broken on our behalf, beaten, whipped, torn on our behalf. The Messiah, the Son of God, co-equal, co-authority, co-eternal with God was willing to be broken for us. So when you eat it, eat it, remember to me, you guys can take the bread. Then he held up the, the cup, the cup of the new covenant. John the Baptist was the last prophet of the old covenant, but here comes the new covenant. Here comes the new covenant, no longer having to make sacrifices and make penance before God. No, it is done, it is taken care of because Jesus said, ah, this is my blood of my covenant. He is the sacrificial lamb. He's the one who died once and for all, for all the sins of mankind. His blood washes away our sins forever, brings his healing to our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our bodies. Lord, we thank you for your blood because there is life in the blood. And we take it remembering, Lord, that you've done it willingly. You gave your blood in our behalf. We take it together. Yes, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You guys can stand with me. Something about being clean before our Savior. That no matter how much we've sinned, no matter how much we've come short, He continues to welcome us back. He continues to cleanse us. He continues to make us whole. He continues to say this, (laughs) you have a place in my house. You have a place in my kingdom. You have purposes. 
thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we are washed clean in you. Lord, that you are good, that you are great, Lord. In your goodness, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that even in the wilderness, Lord, even in the dry seasons, in the difficult times, we can hold on to the promises of you. That you are good. That you will hold true. Just like the people of Jerusalem and Judea, Lord Jesus, had to hold on to those promises. Lord, let us be a people that in 2021, we respond to your word. We respond to your message. That we respond to it, God. That it speaks to us. That we don't just hear the word and walk away, but we be doers of your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, your empowerment. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this song together.